Okay, if you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 24. Let's pause and take a moment to pray again. Father, you have given us these words in this chapter. They are here for our sake. They are profitable for doctrine, for correction, reproof, exhortation, instruction. Lord, you have put in the put these words here for our sake, and so may we hear what you have to say to us through them. Father, may we weed through some of the difficult passages, some of the things that are difficult to understand. May you help us to be able to fully grasp the things that pertain to us and that you would speak to us. And again, I ask for your help, Lord. Give me clarity. Give me the ability to present these things in a way that would be helpful. I do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we jump into this passage, uh, let me start off by saying I have been, I don't know if regretting is the word, but waiting for this chapter because I knew that I was going to have to deal with it and some of my own prejudices. And and what I mean by that, I want you to know what I mean by that so that um, if there's other thoughts that you have, or as we go through this, I, I know many of you have heard other teachings on this that maybe are not similar. Uh, I want you to be able to voice your opinion, and I want you to know where I'm coming from. Ever since I've been a follower, a follower of Jesus Christ, the return of Christ has been very much in, in the forefront of the things that have been presented to me. I can remember a few times a year there would be uh, huge crusades at the convention centers about the end times. There would be all the big-name bands, like three different bands playing at one event, and it would be called the Last Times Concert. And it would all be about Jesus is coming soon. And I can remember being so excited just with all the things that were presented about the, the end of the world and at that time the United States and Russia and all the things that were going to happen. And time after time, I, I saw that these things that were presented that I got so excited about didn't come to fruition. And, you know, the, there comes a time when so many times you go, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. And I had to sit back and ask the question, okay, wait a second. I keep hearing these things and I keep being given this information that doesn't come to pass. When do I stop and say, I don't want to listen to things that just are hype? You guys know what I mean? I, I, I know that Jesus is coming back. I believe it. I believe it's eminent means there's no stopping it. But I don't want to just hype myself up for it because what I'm really doing is putting all this hype and energy on something that ended up not being true. 
but I know Jesus coming back is true. And I'm still excited with the knowledge that Jesus is coming. I'm glad that there is going to be finality. This Sunday, we're going to conclude our series on this beautiful mess, and it's entitled The End of the Mess. And I'm looking forward to the end of the mess. But I'm not here to cheerlead you on and to get you excited and throw out these different scenarios that might or might not take place just to get you excited. We should be excited about the truth that is in here. And so as we go through this, I want to lay some things out that are very foundational that I think we need to understand as we move into this chapter. First thing is when the Gospel of Matthew was written. It was written between 80 and 90 AD, as best as we know. We know that the Gospel of Matthew... Mark and Luke, they call them the synoptic gospels because they're very similar. We believe that much of what Matthew has penned here was taken, the information-wise, from Mark, as was from Luke. As they documented these things, Mark had put them down, and so they pulled from these things. But they had other things that they have information, and this is the most in-depth chapter on the Olivet Discourse, the Mount of Olives Discourse, and all the Synoptic Gospels that there are. And so Matthew was really wanting this to be prominent, and so he did. And he wrote this Gospel around 80 or 90 AD. And we'll see why that's important here in just a moment. Verse 1, chapter 24, Jesus left the temple and was walking. Remember, he just kind of wept over Jerusalem, how the Lord has longed to gather you, you who stone the prophets and do all these things, but you would not. And then he goes on and he says, he will not see them till he says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so he leaves the temple and was walking away with his disciples, came up, his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. In Jerusalem, its buildings, most likely the buildings are talking about The temple. The temple was a splendor. It was all white marble plated in gold. They had these huge cornerstones that were cut that would be 20 to 40 feet long and weigh up to 100 tons. It was an engineering marvel. And with the sun, it would just be blinding. And so there are these beautiful things to behold in this city. It was something that they were proud of. This is our temple. And you've gone to places where you've seen the scenery, you've seen the buildings, and you go, oh my, look at that. You know, Westminster Abbey, I can remember going in there going, oh my gosh, look how high this ceiling is, and oh, look at that, look at that. You just get caught up in these things. And so they're pointing the buildings out to Jesus. They had porches, beautiful porches, Solomon's porch and the royal porch that were out there. And they had these pillars that would be like 37 and a half feet tall. And they were so wide that three men could stand arm to arm and couldn't quite get all around that pillar. So imagine these giant patios and they're just huge and just glorious. We went to the 
Getty Museum, the Getty Villa over in Malibu, and they have this little you know courtyard and a pool, and you're like, oh, this is wonderful. Psst, compared to this, it was nothing. I mean, it was just glorious. And as they're pointing these things out to Jesus, Jesus responds in verse 2. Do you see all these things, he said? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. So as they're in Jerusalem looking at the beautiful architecture, Jesus stops and says, you see all these buildings? Everything is going to be torn down. Not one stone is going to be left on top of the other. History tells us that that happened. There was the destruction of the temple and the devastation of Jerusalem, and it took place in 70 A.D. So before this gospel was written, by 10 years or so, there was the destruction of the temple and the devastation of Jerusalem. What had happened is the Romans were tired of the continuous rebellion by some of the Jews, some of the zealots that were there. And and as they were continually just having to squash these things, put them down, finally the Romans said, that's enough. Some of these uprisings took place, and they came with full force. They weren't going to try and deal with it passively. They turned to being violent instead. And so they came against them and ended up destroying the whole city. As people were trying to take refuge from the onslaught of the Roman war machine, they would go into the city of Jerusalem, closed up the gates, barricaded themselves in, and then there they stayed. And so Rome laid siege. There was a lot of battles that took a lot of time, but they laid siege. And over the months, the people started slowly starving to death. It was, according to Josephus' writings, horrendous. Through this, over 1,100,000 Jews died. And over 97,000 were enslaved. Now imagine that, okay? Imagine the impression this leaves on a nation. Because as Rome came in, the people were already starving. Actually, some of them were eating cannibalism, each other. If there was any mention of food, it was a violent outbreak. There were people stored in rooms, just bodies on top of bodies decaying. It was just when the Romans came in there, a lot of them just left because they couldn't handle it. They ended up tearing down the temple, burning it to the ground. All the gold that was on the temple melted, and so they actually turned the stones and moved the stones so that they can get all the gold that melted and sunk in between the stones. And so Jesus' words were true. And Matthew is remembering, Jesus said beforehand that this would happen. But we are looking now from Matthew's perspective after this event back to when Jesus spoke about it before the event. You guys tracking with me? Seeing what's happened? It's important to know this because as 
Matthew goes on and brings these things, what would be forefront in his mind? A million plus people have died not too long ago. 90,000 are enslaved. That's a lot of devastation that has just taken place in a relatively short period of time. And so as Matthew is talking about these things, he's looking past this event back to when Jesus spoke about this event. And as he's talking about these things, it's going to come up in this conversation. Verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? Meaning the everything's going to be destroyed, not one stone turned upon another. And then they go on and they say, and what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? Now, before we go too far in this, I want to set some boundaries for us to keep in mind. We're going to see in verse 36, and you can just glance over to that right now. Jesus says, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. So this return of Jesus, no one knows. The day or the hour, the angels don't know, only the Father. Acts chapter 1, verse 6, Jesus says something very similar. They had gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set in his own authority. Jesus said he didn't even know these times, that the Father has set these things to himself only. Jesus gives an illustration in, in the same chapter, verse 48 and 50, kind of regarding this. He says, but suppose that the servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. And so we've got these boundaries. We don't know the time. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. No one knows. The angels don't know. Jesus didn't know, only the Father knows, but we also have this warning that we need to be ready because you don't know, and when you don't know, it just might happen when you're not ready for it. And the idea was you have to be living a life that is honorable to the Son so that when he returns, he finds you in that place. Those are our boundaries. That's the framework. Now then, if that's the framework... What then is the point of telling us these things if we don't know the date or time? If we are just aware that it's going to happen sometime, why is he giving us this information? Any thoughts? Do you guys understand what I'm talking about? Do you understand that like, why is he telling us if he just told us we don't know the day or the time? Why would he then give us clues about this? What do you think the purpose is? Well, we don't know, so we better be ready for when it happens. Okay, we don't know, so we need to be ready for when it happens. Yes. Not lose heart. Not become hopeless. 
Can you imagine what happened to those Jews who believed in Christ when this devastation took place? These followers of Christ who who were looking forward to his return, and then Rome comes and just lays waste to a million-plus people through either starvation or the sword. Can you imagine what that would do to your faith? So maybe he's writing these things to bring just that encouragement to those who are wondering, hey, you know, what's going on here? Jesus, he was here, he died, he rose again. We, we believe that, we saw that take place, but look what's going on around us. Our nation is now worse off than it was before. When Jesus is here, at least we had our city, we had our temple, we had our place to worship. When he was here, things were better. Now that he's gone, it's much worse. Can you imagine that dialogue, that conversation that's taking place within the hearts of people when they see these kinds of things take place? And so I don't want us to detach ourselves from what Matthew is writing and to who he's writing it to, because I think it plays an important part in why he is writing these things. And it doesn't just apply to them at that time, it applies to us still today. When he gives that warning about, you know, the master's going to come when you least expect him, he was telling it to those people at that time, and he's telling it to us as well. How many Societies have come and gone, waiting for Christ. How many have thought to themselves, things can't get any worse, and they've gotten worse? How many genocides do we have to witness? How do you hold on to faith when you see these things happen time and time and time again? So I believe Jesus is doing just that. He is trying to help us stay steadfast and believing. And so I believe the things in this chapter are very relevant for those in the immediate time that Matthew is writing, as well as for us today. And as he says in verse, or as they say in verse 3, tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? I ask myself this question. The people at that time, were they asking, when are you going to be coming? Why would they ask, what shall be the sign of your coming? Weren't they expecting him to establish his kingdom right then? So why why are they asking this of Jesus? When is going to be the time of your coming? Any thoughts? Okay, we're done. Um, Remember, Matthew is looking back. He's looking back through the events that have happened. He was there, and now he is at a place on the other side looking back. And so he's telling it probably for our sake to give a clarity in what Jesus' words are meaning. Luke's gospel says, instead of the signs of your coming, it says, when the Son of Man is revealed. And so it might have that context in it as well. When are you going to take charge, Jesus? 
That could be kind of the heart of what he's saying. Jesus, when are you going to set up these things? And so it, it seems that they're pointing these things and they ask basically these two questions. When are these things going to happen and what are going to be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? Now, the funniest thing is I read, probably, I've read three commentaries, listened to more on this passage. And one would say, well, he's talking about these things. The first part is talking about the immediate things. The second part of his message is talking about things that are going to happen later on. Another commentary said, well, the first part is actually talking about things that are going to come later on. The second part is talking about the things that are going to happen now. And so these people who know the language, who understand the Greek, don't agree with each other. And so here I am going to make it all nice and clear, right? I just think it's interesting that there is this inability to put things down in such a way that we can be established so clearly about these things. And I think the reason is intentional. I think it goes back to what Jesus says. No one knows the day or the hour, or it's not for you to know the times or the dates. He doesn't just say the day or the hour. He says the times. That's more broad. It's not for you to know the times. There is supposed to be this, you don't know. And so people keep trying to narrow it down to find out, no, we can know because we're not caught unaware. And I've read and heard all the scriptures that talk about why we should know. But the ultimately is we don't know. And so looking at these things, let's hear what Jesus would have to say to us. Verse 4. In answer to their question, verse 4 through 8, we'll read. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Now, what do you hear Jesus saying in these verses that apply to us today? All of them. Anyone else believe they're all there? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, right? They they could all be there at the time that it was written as well. And so again, I think his words are for all generations. I think they are meant to be for all generations. Can you see, based on the things that we talked about of what has happened in Jerusalem, why Jesus would say these things to the people right before this devastation is about to take place? Can you understand him saying, there's going to be wars, rumors of wars? It's just the beginning. Wouldn't you think, this is it. It's the end. The end of the world is happening right now. Our city's just been laid waste. There's a million people dead. It's over. And he says, no, this is just the beginning. Now, I don't know how many earthquakes they had back then. We could talk about earthquakes right now, huh? 
had our little four point. Yep, you can look on Facebook, find out if you had an earthquake or not. Everyone will tell you. Was that an earthquake? First, he warns them of the deception of false messiahs, people who are going to come and play on people to try and bring themselves up in a place of authority. It happened at Jesus' time. It happens today. People try and control others for their own gain. Uh, are going to say that they're here, that they are the messiah. Um, he says, don't believe them. When these things happen, the wars, the rumors of wars, nations against nations, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. I wonder, were the people alarmed when those things started happening back in 70 AD? You bet they were alarmed. What about World War I? You think the world was alarmed? What do you think the Christian church did in World War I? Do you think they thought the end was near? World War II, Nazi Germany, the whole thing that happened with the, the Nazis and the Jewish people. Don't you th- How many people do you think believe that Hitler was Antichrist? A whole bunch, don't you? Just a whole bunch of people. I mean, it goes on and on and on. There are time and time again where these things happen and everyone goes, it's happening, it's happening, get ready, hold on, it's happening. And Jesus keeps saying there's going to be wars, rumors, war. Don't, don't fret. It's just the beginning. Some people believe that all these things that Jesus talked about are relevant through the period of Israel only. That if Israel is not a nation, then these things don't apply prophetically. There's no reason to think he's being exclusive here, especially since Matthew is presenting this idea that Jesus is going to reach the entire world. But some people, Israel becomes the key. So when Israel becomes a nation in 1948, then they say, then the prophetic clock starts again. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. It sounds good, but I think it's been going on ever since. I think these words were for the children of Israel at that time. They're for every nation and group of followers of Christ from times since then. And so as he's saying these things and he says there's going to be famines, how many famines have there been in the world throughout the ages? Countless. Are there famines today? Yes, there are. Are there earthquakes? Yeah, there's earthquakes. And the idea of earthquakes is, has with it the idea of the earth is in revolt, that the earth is unstable. And we definitely see those things today. If these are just the beginning, (laughs) I mean, don't they sound bad enough? Can't they be the end? If they're just the beginning, should we be worried, obsessed, or fearful about what's going to come? No? Why not? Because we're saved. What What does that mean? Saved from what? Are we saved from... Earthquakes? (laughs) Earthquakes? <laughs> okay. We, are, we have a confidence that is beyond these problems, right? The idea of salvation is that nothing can separate us from our God. Not things present, things in the future, not depths or heights. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are not 
changed or moved by the events that take place, or we're not supposed to be. And so when these things come, I can remember being terrified when I was in like fifth or sixth grade about the end of the world and I was freaked out about whirlpools. I don't know why. I just thought I was going to die in a whirlpool. And earthquakes, you know, and we had a couple of big earthquakes back then. And I just can remember being just terrified. I'm going to die. The earth's going to swallow me up. And somewhere there's going to be a whirlpool. I don't know why, you know, but that was like the worst thing, spinning and drowning in water at the same time. It just... I can remember such anxiety in my life about things like that. And I see that in people today. Whether it be with our government, whether it be with economics and the, the collapse of our economic system. And, you know, when you start seeing different things develop, wars and famines and diseases and boy just go on the internet and search don't do it but if you did you could get paranoid really really quick you would think oh my gosh it's just a matter of years and then you're going to go watch a movie called outbreak or something you know where there's going to show you that this disease is going to take over the entire everyone's going to be you know dying coughing up blood and exploding on the streets and there's going to be walking zombies and we're, there's zombies today oh no it's the living dead it's happening you know there there are so many things that can really just freak you out and so I believe Jesus is telling us these things to just say, hey, get perspective. I knew about this before it happened. It's going to happen. I'm letting you know. And we want to go, when, when, when's it going to happen? The days, the times, you don't need to know. It's going to, you're going to hear of wars. You're going to hear of rumors of wars. There's going to be famines. There's going to be earthquakes. That's just the beginning. And so we get anxious, we get worried, and he's telling this, us this for a reason. And I don't think it's to heighten our worry, but it's to deepen our faith. He, he goes on, and he says in verse 9, Then you will be handed over to, the persecute, to be persecuted and put to death. Okay, it does get worse. <laughs> and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Okay. So, Jesus goes on and he tells us things are actually going to get worse. Now, these verses, can you see how they would apply incredibly to what was about to happen to the Jewish people in 70 AD? Remember, Jesus prophesying about what is going to happen. You can see how he is talking about the persecution that was going to come to the church did come to the church through Nero and through Rome. 
lion were, you know, the Christians were thrown into the Colosseum with lions. There was incredible persecution that took place. Jesus talked about it. Can you see that there is a, a fulfillment that takes place immediately at that time? So we could see that there is application immediately that takes place. But let me ask you, are Christians still being persecuted? Yeah. All over the world. Go into some Muslim countries and you will be killed if they find out you're a Christian. When we went down to Vizcaino, one of the pastors there had a video of a Christian missionary who went into a village it was up in a remote region, and he was set on fire, and someone had filmed it because he was a missionary to these people, and they said, don't talk about your Jesus here, and they found out he talked about Jesus, and so they lit him on fire. And that was not long ago. It happens today. Jesus' words were true. They were prophetic. He is telling us these things. He is warning us that they're going to hate us because of him. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to go out and try to be hated. We're to take the message of Christ, but that message has opposition. And so with that opposition, there is going to turn out to be betrayal. You know, you, you put someone in a position where you threaten their life, and then you find out if they really care or not, if their belief is strong or not. Will you turn on those who you have that Christian connection with if your life is threatened, and a lot of people will. A lot of people, well, I don't want to die, so yeah, they meet over there. Don't kill me, but that's where they meet. That's what goes on. And so as there's persecution arises, there's going to be people that turn away, which he talks about, that betray and hate each other. And again, many false prophets are going to come and try and deceive people. They're going to try and make people think, different things about Jesus Christ, try and take away this faith, dilute it, move them on to a different place. And he says, the one who stands to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And so, you know, there's no doubt that we are closer to the end than they were back then, because we're moving forward. So is it... The whole world is heard just about, right? I forget, some Christian evangelist said something one time that once that last person hears, then we're all going to be taken away. And I always think, how do they know it's the last person? Aren't people always being born and getting older? You know, it's a constant mission. It's not like, yes, there's a certain number. There's the cutoff. Okay, we reached our cutoff. And, and I think this is the point why we have to kind of stand firm till the end, that we we don't quit, that we don't look for this finish line. Okay, I'm done. I've done all these things. We tend to think that these things are more relevant for our time than they are for any other time, that people are more wicked now than they've ever been before. Have you guys heard that or said that? You guys have not lived in the wickedness of times. I'm telling you, read some history. Okay, Rome at this time was pretty darn wicked. I'm not going to go into detail, but it was bad. I mean, it was really, really bad. I mean, there was a time when the Christians were along the roadside 
hung and crucified on crosses just up and down the roads because they were trying to get rid of these Christians. Okay. Yeah, well, there's Inquisition. I mean, it goes on through history. There's always been times. What about, you know, you go into Cambodia, the killing fields. Oh, my gosh. The slaughter that takes place. But then you'll hear, you know, someone in the United States, our schools are teaching, you know, these terrible things. It's never been more wicked than, like, come on. I think it's a lot more wicked in a lot of different places. I think the point, I, I'm getting on a tangent. I'm going to jump back on. We tend to think that this is more relevant to us because we are focused on ourselves in this history. I think what Jesus is saying is true of all periods of time, and I think he's telling us this so that we will stand firm and endure to the end that we will not be surprised when the persecution comes, that we will not be surprised if people turn against us. What? We're supposed to be a nation that are a Christian, and they're now taking away my rights. Don't be surprised if that happens. Stand firm to the end. Remember, the government doesn't dictate what you believe. It's not up to them. It's never been up to them. It wasn't up to them with the Romans. It wasn't up to them through communism. It wasn't up to them today. It doesn't depend on the outward circumstances for your inward faith. And Jesus is challenging us to stand firm regardless of the circumstances. We have it so easy, and yet we think so much of this is supposed to be focused on us. This is it. We're the generation because things have never been so wicked, and we have barely tasted what wickedness is. We need to understand that and just see the what is clear here, what the point is, which I believe is stand firm. Don't be swayed by the things that you see because you're going to read and see atrocities that will make you cry out, oh God, why? Why can these things happen in the Sudan? Why are children being brought in to be soldiers and having to kill their own parents and then being brought on? What, what would possess people to be so wicked? And Jesus says, stand firm. Stand firm. Don't give up. The gospel, this good news, is going to be preached through all the nations then the end is going to come. Verse 15. Let's see how far we go. We're definitely not going to get too far. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be a great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. Now, this... Abomination that causes desolation is spoken of in Daniel chapter 11 and 12. Daniel prophesies of when the temple was going to be desecrated, and it was in 168 B.C., when the altar was defiled, when they brought in the worship of Zeus, an altar to Zeus, and they sacrificed a pig on the altar there in the temple 
um, that was prophesying of what Daniel was speaking of, and then Daniel's speaking of something also in the distance. You know, it's hard to see the understanding of prophecy until it comes to fruition, and then it becomes very clear. It's like earlier in the gospel when he talks about, you know, the children who were killed because Herod was concerned about this king being born. And it says that the, the children of Ramah were crying, but they would not be comforted. No one knew what that meant until after that event took place. And then they say, hey, this connects to this. There was a time when it was fulfilled in the prophecy immediately, and then there was a time when it was fulfilled in the future. And that happens, and it's difficult sometimes to see until the things come to fruition and happen. Here it seems to have a very clear reference to the devastation in 70 AD, as well as to the end of the age when they're speaking of the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. But fleeing to the mountains was literally carried out and by the church at that time of devastation. When they saw Rome was coming, many of them fled and went to the mountains. In fact, there is some writings about that. Asibius writes, the whole body, however, of the church at Jerusalem, having been commanded by a divine revelation given to men of approved piety, there before the war, removed from the city and dwelt at a certain town beyond the Jordan called Pela. And so there was an exodus of Jerusalem at that time. Now, Jesus said, pray it's not in the winter, because if it is, it's going to be very hard to make that trek if it's cold, if it's frozen, if there's snow. And pray it's not in the Sabbath because they would hold the Sabbath sacred and would not travel, and so many would be stuck there and be taken in to that devastation. And there were many people who, when they found out, they had to leave immediately. They had to abandon their houses because the Rome is coming. You don't have time to go down and get your stuff. You just need to go. Again, there is a lot of writings. Josephus writes about some of these things, about how quick the, the onslaught was and how many people fled for their lives, barely having time to grab anything. And so there's definitely a clear prophetic answer at that time. Things were so urgent that they had to leave, but there is also the possibility of it happening again. Revelation talks about it. And so it doesn't mean, well, it's happened, we don't have to worry about it. There's still this understanding and this importance of making haste that when there is this evil that is going to come again, these very same things might need to take place. When's that going to happen? The times you don't know the hours you don't know, when it happens, be ready. Well, should I then, you know, have you seen that new, um, those new shows, the Doomsdayers or whatever, what are those called? Yeah, you know, you watch those shows and these people, should I be one of those people? You know, should I? Please don't. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with having, you know, extra water and being prepared if a nat national disaster happens. But should we store seven years of food in our garages in case, you know, something happens and there's going to be... I don't think Jesus is telling us these things to make us afraid. 
Again, I think he's telling us these things so that we can know when things happen, we make the right choices. The idea of the Sabbath really doesn't deal with the Gentile world. I don't, I'm not going to have any problems running if it's the Sabbath. It really deals specifically with the Jews, and not even so much the Jews of today as it does the Jews at that time. And so this one does seem very specific to this period. Now, if you're like me, most of the studies you've heard don't talk about this as referring to the devastation of Jerusalem. We're looking forward to this Antichrist, the rebuilding of the temple, and all these things. It applies very clearly to this past, to the, the past that happens, and there's a possibility of the future what would happen. I just throw that out there. I don't know what is going to happen. I don't know when, if the temple is going to for sure be rebuilt. I just don't know. I'm not as clear on these things as some people are. What, what am I going to miss out if I am not sure, but if I am standing firm and living for Jesus today like I'm supposed to? What, what, what's, what am I going to do differently? I still should have an urgency, whether something devastating happens in 10 years or one year. My focus should be the same. I shouldn't change the way I live out of fear that something's going to happen. I don't think these things are written to make us afraid, to make us cautious, to make us paranoid. I think they're written to give us insight into the fact that things are going to be difficult and we need to stand firm, not to be swayed in our faith by the things that happen and again, some things were very clear and have happened. Some things aren't clear and may happen. It doesn't change how we act. Verse 22, when it says, If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days were shortened. Um, there are some very interesting things that happened at the time when the temple was laid waste and Jerusalem was devastated that actually Titus and some of those who were coming left early because there was other things that required their attention. So it was almost like they were interrupted from bringing more devastation and following after the people who fled because they had other things to do. And so some, there's a lot of things written about at that time how the, these days were basically brought to an abrupt end, even how quickly the end took place. The siege lasted only for five months, for April to September, and then Titus left the region early after these things were done. And so it very well could have been fulfilled at that time because everyone's wondering, what does that mean? What does that mean? I don't know. Um, but this is something that happened. We know that because I've heard, you know, talk about, well, then the tribulation, there's going to be this, you know, seven years, there's going to be three and a half years, it's not going to be too bad, three and a half years is going to get really bad, and if days, those days aren't cut short, then, man, no flesh is going to survive. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I know this happened, and I know this happened, and what's going to happen? I'm not sure. Was this referring to... When will these things be, the destroying of the temple that you talked about and the end of the age? Maybe this was talking about the destruction of the temple. Maybe there's a little application to the end of the age. <laughs> what did you say, Sam? You said both. Um, that's right. 
You see, I just don't think there is as much clarity, and I don't think we need to spend as much time maybe as we do worrying about all the meticulous little things that are speculative. But I think there's a whole lot here that we need to get out of these passages that are helpful, that keep us level-headed, that keeps our perspective of who Jesus is. He warned us about these things. He said that love would grow cold. He said that people would betray others, especially when these times of persecution comes. Again, we don't understand persecution the way he's referring to it here. But those things shouldn't surprise us when we read of the Christians who are being martyred and killed. Jesus talked about those things. And it's not the end yet. It's the beginning. You see, what happens to us if we get so caught up in what's going to happen? What are some of the dangers of putting so much focus on the future? Right? We forget our responsibilities now. We're, we're so focused on what may happen we're so looking into prophecies that might be fulfilled. We're, we're trying to connect the European dots, you know, and the, the common market and, you know, the heads there in Revelation. Okay, when these amount of heads are there, okay, that's equal to these heads. Oh, now there's more. What do we do now? Okay, let's find some, let's get rid of some heads somewhere. Let's try and find something else. We'll, we'll keep trying to search out these things and spend our energy looking at all these things when we are right here in our society and we're not listening to the things around us. We are distancing ourselves from the society around us. I was reading recently about how, you know, uh, parachurch groups, you know what a parachurch group is? It's a, for example, um, what would be a popular one? Um, Campus Crusade. You know, when the church stopped being effective reaching people on campuses than a parachute church group developed, like Campus Crusade. Or when churches stopped being effective in reaching, uh, you know, men and their commitment to Christ, then a promise keepers came up. They, these groups come up to try and fill where the church is void. And so all these groups start rising up to try and fill the lack that is there. And, and it's always happening because the church becomes focused on the wrong things. We, we get our sight on other things and we stop losing sight of what being whole is and reaching the world around us is. And pretty soon the church is 10 years behind or more the world and all the things that are happening. If you don't believe that, just look at the, mu or the movie industry. I mean, look at the... I'm going off on the tangents again. If we get too focused on the wrong things, we stop being a part of the right thing. And I believe Jesus is giving us these heads up and warnings not to get our focus on the end times, but to get our focus on him and our stability through the difficult times. These times are going to come. You're going to see these things happen. A lot of them happened in that devastation of Israel. How could it not be a heavy part of the focus of Matthew's writing. How could it not be when you have two million people 
impacted by an event? How could it not play a significant role in this writing and as he's talking about these things? Of course it's going to be. Does it mean that's exclusive? No, because evil continues. People's hearts continue to grow cold. Wickedness continues. Persecution continues. These things had a fulfillment then. They're going to have a fulfillment in the future to some degree. But our focus isn't on these things. They're on the author, the perfecter of our faith, Jesus. And if we keep our sight on him, we won't be moved by these things. And we won't be overwhelmed when these difficulties arise. And again, we, we shouldn't even be focused on those things to the extent that I think we are here sometimes. Okay. Any questions? <laughs> Any feedback? Okay. Because I know a lot of you where you've come from. <laughs> and and I, I'm not trying to, again, I'm not trying to contradict beliefs. I'm just trying to present things as I've filtered through them. Jesus is coming back. I'm not against that. Hey, you know, tomorrow's promise to no man. You know, one of the things that I was always, this was always used as a scare tactic to get people who didn't know Christ to believe. Otherwise, you know, there was going to be this rapture. They were going to be left behind, go through the tribulation. You know, that's why they made movies like that and all those things. It was like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. You know, if you're not there... But you can die in a car crash. You know, you can die slipping on the soap in the bathtub. I mean, it, that's not what's necessary to make you afraid. And then what happens, like the times that I've heard, you know, I heard that the Gulf War, the first one, the Desert Storm, that the United States was going to be humiliated by Iraq, and it was the rise of Babylon. Okay, I heard that from prominent pastors who lead this. And everyone was like, oh, get ready, everyone. And they're telling all their non-Christian friends, you know, this is prophecy. This is what's going to happen. And then what happens? Like the quickest war in the United States devastates them. And then no one says anything. It's just like, we'll go on. Y2K. Do you remember the Y2K? Oh, yeah, blah, 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 you know, and then what happens? Y201. You know, it's gone and it's here and past. And there's no apology and the world's left thinking, you guys are nuts. You don't know what you're talking about. You're sensational, and then it's gone, and it's over with. And so that kind of sensational provoking, I have trouble with. I, don't, I see it disingenuous. I see it as manipulative. It's actually very Pentecostal in its origins, you know, as far as where it comes from. You know, and I just don't think it's biblical. I don't think it's like Christ. One of the things that moves my theology is Jesus, which I think is good. You know, I have to filter everything that is written through the word of God, which is the person Jesus. And so when I read what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, I filter that through the person of Jesus and how we see him conduct himself throughout the Gospels because he is the living of example of what that looks like. And so I have to take context. I have to take understanding of what is being dealt with, and then I have to take the person of Jesus and see how it plays out. And I don't see Jesus being sensational, and so I don't think we should be.
you know, I think it's a dangerous thing to be, again, so caught up in those things that we, we miss the responsibilities. I mean, how many people think that, man, you know, the world's just going to end. It's just everything's bad. Everything's going to get worse. It's going to all go to hell. And so what happened to, you know, the Christian in 1999 who, you know, thought the world was ending in the year 2000 and who didn't take that promotion in his job but, you know, went into seclusion and started doing those things? Where is he now? You know, what did he lose sight of that he could have done so much more for God if he would have been focused on the right things. And if you're living thinking, oh, no, the end is going to happen, the end is going to happen. Oh, I'm not going to work for, you know, promotions. I'm not going to try and live for these. No, because the end is coming. I'm going to charge up those credit cards, you know. I mean, if you live in that way, he didn't come, darn it, you know. If you live in that way, what happens is you stop being connected to the world around you because your mind is in some other place. And again, I think it's detrimental where we get to the church is so so behind the understanding of what's happening in the world around it that it no longer is able to affect the world around it the way it once did. And that's a bad thing. And we find ourselves playing catch-up, catch-up, catch-up because we think people are going to come on our side if they hear this spectacular you know, thing about the end times. And then two years go by and we have a, a lot of people who are disillusioned and no longer believe because oh, it didn't happen. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I'm so skeptical, but I've heard about building the temple for 20-some years. You know, and it was supposed to have been close to being built then. And when I hear news now, I say, okay. Yeah, it's like, okay, maybe. You know, you, you told me that 25 years ago. And it hasn't come any closer. You know, I, I've heard these things over and over and over again. And that's why I say I become disillusioned with hearing those things. And I'm not going to allow those things to be my focus. It might be built. Hey, if it does, that'll, that'll sure, you know... Explode some things, yeah, that'll, that'll send things forward. But I'm not going to put my stock in the rhetoric. And I just caution you guys, be wise in how you listen. Be, be wise in what motivates you. Don't be one of these followers of Christ who can be rallied over every event Every, you know, earthquake, every war, every collapse or new president. Okay, it's the end now. Every, you know, possibility. So don't get, don't let those things, if, if Jesus doesn't rally you, what else should? You know what I mean? If Jesus doesn't get your motivation going, then why should the change of a government? And so let your focus be on the right things because then they'll be consistent and they'll be strong and they'll move forward. Hey, Dick Clark isn't here anymore. It could happen. Well, there's always going to be those things. Just, I think, keeping our focus on the right things 
having a healthy life is the best way to move forward. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to warn us, the events that were going to happen, especially at that time, those Christians who were going through some incredible difficulties, dealing with those things. I think Matthew is writing, hey, Jesus said this. Don't get bewildered here. Any other questions? Yeah, I, I think that being more connected to what that person is feeling and not flippant is an important thing. And I think you're right if you're just saying, oh, well, it's going to end. The world's going to end, but I don't care. That, that can sound pretty heartless. You know, oh, it's okay. That doesn't matter. Jesus said those things are going to happen. We have to be wise in how we relate to those kinds of things. And the assurance needs to show up in a way of caring, loving, but confident. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I think that's right on. I, I can remember being on a college campus and the pastor was talking, he's preaching, we had a band play there, and he said that Russia was going to, when there was still Russia, that was like it was, said it was going to invade Israel this year. And someone said, you want to bet? You know, and someone said, oh my gosh, you know, they're just like, look, I can't believe you. You know, and he said, I'll bet your soul. You know, he was like real adamant about that. And I just think that comes across flipping. Oh, yeah, Russia's going to invade Israel. And some, there's Jews that are there who maybe live in Israel. And they're like, what? You know, what? where do you get this from? And so now their thought of Christians are Russians going to come and invade Israel. What does that do to a young Jewish student? I think that's flippant, you know, instead of the dialogue with them about who Jesus is and fulfilling those things anyway. Well, again, I think part of what he's talking about in this time was there in Jerusalem, the, you know, the desecration that's taking place was there at the temple. And so I think it was specifically relevant to that time. And I think it was a warning of them fleeing. I'm not sure what it's going to be. If there's a temple and then there's another something going on, yeah, you got to be ready for that. You, you know that that's going to be happening. You know, there are certain things that, yeah, you're aware of that, and it should flag go up. But I think specifically here he's talking about what happened in Jerusalem. There was this temple. There was the desecration, you know, that made it desolate. There was the armies coming in and destroying it. You know, there was Antiochus Epiphanes slaughtering the pig on the altar. I think those were specific things that we're able to see and then respond to those cares. Otherwise, I mean, I think there are other things that we always need to be mindful of, but again, in our faith, I don't know. It's not like we don't pay attention to the news or care what's going on. It's just we're not out searching for the missing links of the future. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, and Christian's answers go by going to Japan and helping rebuild. You know, and I mean, and people do that. People who preach end times go and do it. I mean, so I don't want to, you know, say that they're all bad. I mean, those are good things. Um, going and being a physical representation of Jesus is the best way, you know, to make a difference in their lives so that they can see you, see Christ in those connections. So, yeah, praying, being involved, doing those things. You know, when something happens... Not, oh, no, it's the end times that quick, store up food. No, you know, go there. It's like Y2K. Everyone's panicking. So, okay, I'm a Christian. What am I, buy a gun? If you come to my house looking for food, am I going to shoot you? 
is that the Christian response? You know, really? Is that, you know, you need food, you and your family? No, bam! Yeah. <laughs> this is my food. I am a Christian. I was warned on the radio to be aware of you. I mean, it just makes no sense. You know, when those times happen, that's when you show up. That's when the love of Christ shows up. That's, that's when you should be the most Christian. Well, let's pray, and then we can continue talking over dessert. <laughs> Father, I pray, Lord, that uh, we would be able to filter through all these things and take those things that would be helpful to us in our relationship with you and our interaction with the world around us. Father, that we would be able to represent you clearly, consistently, Father, continually. Thank you again for your faithfulness, Lord, to reveal to us, to inspire us, to direct us. And I pray you would bring clarity in these things, that your spirit would bear witness with our spirits what your desire is. How do we better look like you, Jesus, knowing these things? How do they help us to, to better live like you lived? Lord, that's what we need to do. And so I pray we would take all these things and filter them through you and allow them to direct our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.